reunited because it feels so good. You saw us on the score. You watched us on TSN. And now we're together again. Season one, episode one of Cool Button Uncensored Hockey Podcast. Summer is over North America and hockey is back. Coolius and Button together again. How are you, my friend? How is your summer? You just can't get enough of me. You're a, you're obsessed with me. You're obsessed with me. <laughs> well, it, l- let's start off with my declaration of love for you, right? So I'm thrilled to do this with you. My summer was great, but guess what? Hockey season has started, and I'm so excited about not only the coming hockey season with fans back in the building, but to be able to do this with you. So excited. Yes, it's great. We'll try to be uh, like uh, McDavid and McKinnon, maybe, as we talk about uh, future events. Listen, if we don't talk about your team or your hot topic today, it's okay. I wrote down last night, 24,382,111 topics for the year. We will get to as many as we can. And something I have to do a better job doing, Mr. Button, is just slowing it down a little bit at times, not arguing with you on every little thing. The sky might be blue. Extend we don't argue, we debate, we discuss, yes. Yes, we, debate. We, we, have, we have perspectives and sometimes that perspective is one that you may agree with a little bit more than another one, but that's okay. I mean, Steve, your knowledge of the game, uh, not only currently, but historically, it, it, there's nobody that, that, that is in the same ballpark as you. So, you know, what you're able to do and what I'm able to do. I think that that's what makes this so special for me to be able to do this with you. And so I think we just get at it and get talking about the things that matter. Cause as you talk about, you know, there's lots of topics we can write down about, but I'll tell you what, there's going to be a lot of topics that we haven't even thought about that are going to, we're going to be talking about. So, you know what, we're going to let the season unfold and we're going to be right on top of it. Yeah. That'll mean 27 million for whatever the numbers are. Okay. Uh, item one, Jack Eichel, we don't have a crystal ball. We don't know how this thing is going to play out. And I don't want to get into the medical terms of one surgery infusion. The bottom line is, I'm going to steal your phrase, he's not playing now. Let's walk each other through the possibility of not playing the entire season, the trade that is imminent. Who wants him as a former manager? What would you need to see or have happen for you, LA Kings, for you, Calgary Flames, Craig, to trade for Jack Eichel? So why don't we focus in right now and here on Jack Eichel until Jack Eichel is able to play. Nothing else matters. I mean, so everybody knows what he's done in the past. We're we're talking about a star player, an elite player, but if you're not playing and you're coming off in an injury or you have an injury that hasn't been addressed, you know, to your satisfaction or to the team's satisfaction, I mean, there's no better way to describe limbo than that. So everything else doesn't matter until Jack Eichel can find a way uh, to play. So when you start to consider where he finds himself at this point in time, so he's looking at it and saying, well, I would like to do this procedure that's never been done on a hockey player, right? The, The Buffalo Sabres are saying, well, you know what? We have a lot invested in you. We do not want you to take this experimental surgery. We'd prefer you to do the more, uh, proven surgery. So why would the Buffalo Sabres, you know, take on risk with that contract to approve something that's never been done. And likewise, Jack Eichel, you know, why would he take on the risk? Because if he's going to take on the risk to do some experimental, you know, he could forego a lot. So, you know, you're looking at a scenario right now where are they at a stalemate? I, I hope not, 
But, you know, this discussion between Jack Eichel and, and the medical advice, Sabres himself, has gone on for a long time. And until that gets reconciled, doesn't matter who else is interested in him. He's going to sit in limbo. So he could, in theory, miss the year, secondary topic, miss the Olympics. The new team would probably give up less to get him with this risk. Like his values drop. It's, he's not the house on the beach, um, you know, beside our buddy from two and a half men, because there's only so many houses in California on the water. So his stock is dropped. Look, I, I like Jack Eichel. If he's three behind McDavid and Matthews, who cares? Eisenman never won a heart trophy, never won a scoring title. never. So if he's a 40-goal, 90-point guy, I take him on my team. I know Jack a little bit. We talked at one of the All-Star games. I take him. I love him. I, I, he can be that guy. Do you buy that as well? And do you buy the trouble that he might not play this year and that some new team is going to take a risk that you as a former manager may or may not be willing to take? Well, there's a couple factors. So, so, so when you ask me that question and we talk about the factors, the risk, he, he is owed $50 million. So, you know, you, you can talk about, you know, okay, I'll, I'll give up a seventh round draft pick. You think the Buffalo Sabres are going for that? No. Right. So, you, you know, the risk for a team to pick him up is not just about, you know, where he is in terms of his playing. It's also like, okay, if we're going to take him now, we got to assume the risk of the contract and where he's going to be at. And that's why I continue to go back until the medical issue gets reconciled. We can talk about every single possibility for Jack Eichel going here, going there, this package of players, what the Buffalo Sabres want. Is it too much? Is it not? I can't believe that there's a player, uh, a team, excuse me, that would be interested in acquiring a player that has so much uncertainty about his ability to perform at the level that, that you've seen him perform at. You know, we're talking about the past now. And, and they're looking at the future. The only player that comes to mind and, and, and think about what happened, Gary Roberts, back in the mid nineties, he had a serious neck injury. He couldn't get cleared by the medical staff with the Calgary flames. He stepped away from playing hockey. He went and researched and found, but he had no contract. He ended up becoming, I mean, he ended up being traded ultimately because they had the rights to him. But at the end of the day, he had, he had no contract in, in terms of going forward. So you know, that until the, until teams can feel satisfied that he's able to come in and perform, I don't see what the, what the market is. I don't see why there would be a market unless it's so ridiculously low that you just say, okay, we got to do this. It, it's the Roberts is a great example. I remember the story with his then wife said, I knew this was ridiculous when I had to cut his meat. When they sat down for supper, mm -hmm. his wife had to cut his meat and he had to figure it out. And he did and went on to have, a great rest of his career. So as we're guessing then, like, it, it, do I give you five topics? Retirement, uh, opting out of his contract, the league lets him out, he figures it out, becomes a free agent and foregoes 50 million. Uh, the LA Kings lowball the Sabres and the Sabres say, let's just get rid of this and go ahead and do your surgery. So, I mean, we, we have to give the listeners something without knowing. We're not going to go on five years, right? This isn't going to go on for five years. So, Let's guess. I'm going to guess that a team says to Buffalo, this is the best we'll do under circumstances. The Sabres take it. He does his surgery. Pray to God it goes well and he can return at the Eichel form. And later they'll say, you never got value for him. Yeah, but we were gambling. We, that, that, there was a volcano in the neighborhood and there's a lot of earthquakes and, and, and floods. I'm just going to guess that Eichel will go for 
70 cents on the dollar and the Sabres will say, and I'm only guessing Craig. Yeah. I mean, that's, is it plausible? Yes, it's plausible, Steve. And, you know, again, you know, there's also the, the, the risk component because of the salary of the contract commitment, you're not just, unless he becomes a free agent and you can negotiate a new contract, which I, I, I don't see how that can happen, you know, but you know, you're, you're assuming a massive contract. That, that's the other thing you're doing. And I don't want to hear anything about long-term injury reserve and you can put them on there and everything. We all know how that works. Right. But, you know, again, you talk about 70 cents on the dollar. I mean, that's, that's plausible too, that you're not going to get as much for him as you, as, as you, as you would get for a healthy Jack Eichel. Right. So, but, but really where, where it sits now, you, you know, when you sit in traffic and you're not moving anywhere, you know where you want to go, but you're not moving anywhere and you can't move anywhere. And until something gets cleared up that that's where Jack Eichel finds himself now. Like, and I have no doubt that he, he, he believes in what he's doing, but keep in mind from the, the NHL medical uh, people that are working with the Buffalo Sabres, they're saying this has never been done. Why should we take the risk of, of allowing him to do it? And the CBA allows for the, the team to have the final say on that. Would you stay away from him? Quick answer. If you were, a manager and someday we get the 34 teams i'll be your assistant gm and chris our producer will be your capologist but anyway would you stay away from him and say the risk is not worth the reward listen if you're going to make a serious pitch for jack eichel here's what i would say you're going to have access to the medical records so you're going to go and you're going to try to make an assessment based on your best knowledge of you know what this injury is and and what the treatment can be to allow him to get back to playing Again, you talk about 70 cents on the dollar. If there's 70 cents on a dollar and we're talking about Jack Eichel and I have some satisfaction, I mean, you're never going to have 100% satisfaction. And I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. We had Sean Chambers with the Minnesota North Stars. And, you know, he had, he had a bum knee. And, I mean, we loved him. I mean, Bob Danny absolutely loved him. And, you know, the medical report came back and said, you know what, long-term, you know, we're not so sure. It's degenerative and everything. Anyway, you know, he moved on to the uh, New Jersey Devils, won a Stanley Cup in 1995. And you know who got him back? Because we needed him and we wanted him. <laughs> a number of years later, Sean Chambers. So, you know, so, so let's just take that to, and consider what happened. Here we are, a little bit concerned in Minnesota. The medical report is, and, and you know, there's not one, you know, there can be different interpretations of a medical situation. That's what happened. Lou Lamarillo, New Jersey Devils said, hey, we want him, right? And then he goes and wins and we go, we want him back <laughs> years later. It wasn't that degenerative. <laughs> Eichel's topic one, uh, we're going to get to cross-checking rule 59 topic two, but as an aside, because we talked about this when we, you know, when you said, Cooley, I'm obsessed with you. I need to do the podcast with you. Let's do the podcast together. Of course, I'm just joking. Buffalo, Arizona, Columbus, San Jose slash Anaheim. Which of these teams is the worst? Which of these is closer to the AHL than NHL success? <laughs> Wow. I, I have to say the Buffalo Sabres. I don't think there's any question. And, and, and I'll tell you why. You, you have a 40-year-old goaltender in the net in Craig Anderson. He's had, a, he's had a real good, solid NHL career. He's 40 years old. He, you know, you're asking him to go in there and, you know, be a pillar of strength in an incredibly important position. Then you have Aaron Dell, who, you know, is, is the definition of a backup goaltender. So, you know, you start to look at those scenarios I mean, Arizona, I think, would be a very 
close second to the Buffalo Sabres, but I don't think there's any question in my mind that the two teams that are at the bottom of the league are the Arizona Coyotes and Buffalo Sabres, number one. Yeah, it's not going to be a Lou or a John Tortorella year for the Blue Jackets. They've got their own issues to deal with, as does Doug Wilson. Anaheim, I, I think I'd rather be Anaheim than the, the teams we just mentioned who have more young talent. Let's see what Zegers can do. Jimmy Drysdale, you've talked about him for a long time. We know him. I, I loved his 25 games last year. So would, you, would we both agree there's more hope in Anaheim? And if you had to take over one of these five teams that you'd say, you know what, uh, Bob Murray's in a better spot in Anaheim than the rest of the teams in the Shane Wright sweepstakes. Well, I, I mean, number one, you have John Gibson in the net. Yeah. That, that's a pretty good start. You have Hampus Lindholm. You have Cam Fowler. You have Josh Manson. You talk about Jamie Drysdale, right? They still have some really, I mean, Trevor Zegris, I, I love him. I, I think he's going to be a terrific player, but we start to move down the line. You know, you, you, you have Raquel, you have Silverberg, you have some really good players. Adam Henrique had a fantastic world championships last year for Canada and route to the gold medal. So, you know, is that a rebound now for Adam Henrique who found himself in, in, in very challenging times in, in Anaheim? Arizona and Buffalo don't have anywhere near what the Buffalo, what the Anaheim Ducks have. So, you know, I, I guess, you know, you look at the, the lottery, you're looking at chances. You, who has the best percentage odds? If it is not Buffalo and the Arizona Coyotes at the end of this season, tell you what, you get to pick the restaurant. Your lovely wife, Diane, and you will be treated to wherever you want to go <laughs> by moi. <laughs> well, fans in Detroit are loving it because I didn't put them on the list, but they're saying, hey, don't forget about us. But when we look at Buffalo, Detroit is so much better off than, the, than, than where Buffalo is right now. Most Sider's going to play. Larkin is going to be healthy. Uh, Bertuzzi's going to miss nine games. That's a topic for another day we won't get into. But I believe in Steve. I know you do as well. So in a way, if Red Wing fans are thinking, hey, they're not in this tax bracket anymore. Like they're moving on up, Wheezy. They're not in the Upper West Side here, but they're, they're, they're in a better spot slowly because if Buffalo, as you said, doesn't finish last in the Atlantic, so, something happened. You know, Dylan Cousins turned into a 1984-85 Mary Lemieux. So this is as we look at, you know, the Sabre connection. We talked about Jack and some of these other teams about how the wheel turns, right? And the, the wheel turned on Detroit and it's slowly clicking. But if I'm Red Wing fans, I'm way more optimistic than some of the other teams we've talked about. Well, and again, let's start right in the net. Alex Nadelkovich. I mean, we're talking about, I, I think it was a magnificent trade by Steve Eisman to get Nadelkovich. And so when you start to look at Anaheim with John Gibson, you look at the Detroit Red Wings with Nadelkovich. Okay, go ahead. Like, I mean, we're talking about goaltending in Arizona and in Buffalo. That is, that is not like number one starting goaltender. It, 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 it is so far below the level required to be successful on a night in night out basis. You just can't, you're not going to be, whereas the, the Anaheim Ducks and the Detroit Red Wings don't have that problem. And I can tell you this, Steve, you know, when you, when, when you, when you're looking at your team and you, you can have the best team, you can have, you can be real solid and really believe in your blue line. You go, geez, we got really good depth. You got question marks in the net. I'm telling you what, you're never resting easy. You're always, and, and more than that, the players aren't resting easy because they are looking and going, oh boy, we could play a great game tonight and one bad goal and we're on the wrong side of the score. 
when you have a good goaltender, and I'm going to go back to one of the one of the greatest all time, Dominic Hasha. I mean, our team in Dallas won the Stanley Cup in 1999. Just go look at our roster and go look at the Buffalo Sabres roster. And I'm telling you what, you know, we had Eddie Belfour, who's a great goaltender, right? It took everything we had to beat the Buffalo Sabres. They were competitive. They were a team that was hungry and determined, but they had Hasek in the net. They had Hasek in the net. <laughs> and not only did that help give them confidence, it was intimidating for every opponent they played. Yeah, and that was a year after what he did at the Olympics in Nagano. Oh. Some that still believe he is the greatest of all time. It's a great debate. I'm sure we'll have that debate on uh, this podcast as we move forward. Season one, episode one, Cool Button Uncensored Hockey Podcast. I'm going to put you right on the spot. Why, why are we going to wait? So who would you have as the number one goaltender all time? I don't know. I feel like Terry Sawchuk was put on this earth to play goal. And when he couldn't play goal anymore, God took him away. And it, it's hard to compare eras and everything else. Six teams. Imagine just playing six teams all the time. Well, they call that the Olympics or the Canada Cup. Um, we could look at data and numbers and, and everything else. And I like to be a, what I think is a hockey historian. If Canada or the world is going up against the aliens and I have to put a goalie into the net, I have no problem. Saw Chuck one and Hashik is his backup. <laughs> okay. That's a duo that I, I would be happy to have in front of my, in front of myself. If I was a or behind me, if I was a team, right. Yeah. I'll, I'll go. I'll, I'll take my chances on that one. Yeah. And for all you kids out there, uh, look up Terry Sawchuk if you don't know him and everything he did and people are like, what about Jacques Plot? What about, Hey, we'll save that for another time. Cross-checking. I'm a happy guy. Cause I always believe that when the league changed a rule that I talk about for, you know, 400 hours during a year that I like to think I had something to do with it. And, you know, Craig, you know me. And for some people it works, some it doesn't. It goes Gary, Bill, Coley, and then me. Sorry, Stephen Wacom. <laughs> that is the infrastructure and hierarchy in the National Hockey League. Rule 59, I love it. Sorry for all you big, tough defensemen out there. When you put your stick on someone's back and go boom, boom, kaboom, boom, boom, we're not playing the bongos here at a, at a destination vacation together. That's a penalty. Mayfield, Kucherov, that's a penalty. Well, how do you check them then, Steve? So what? Commit an illegal act because that's the only way to defend McDavid? Uh-uh. Will there be some pain? Yes. Am I excited? Yes. Will it lead to more offense? Yes, yes, yes. Do I back it? Yes. Is it going to continue in the playoffs? I don't know. But get ready for an October 2005 as it relates to the cross-checking crackdown. I have the league's blessing. They have my blessing. Where are you on this? Oh, well, I'm here, here. Listen, you know, leading into the lockout of 0405, there's lots of discussions about uh, you know, the rules and different interpretation of the rules. The definition of the rules really haven't changed. You know, Andy Van Helman had, uh, and I still have it. I'll send it to you one day. The hockey rules used to be one page. And Andy Van Helman said to me, he said, you know, so I'm not so sure we couldn't still use this one page. Because, you know, when you look at it and what, and, and you know, what they were trying to do way, you know, years ago when the game was, was still being developed, it was fascinating to go back and read that one page summary of the rules. But, you know, again, I was in a manager's meeting in prior to the lockout and we were talking about rules and, 
you know, we're talking about interference. So, you know, you know, Steve, that, you know, the managers go into what they call the breakout groups. They, you know, they talk in small groups, they take different topics and then they come back and, you know, present to the bigger group. We got talking in, uh, you know, the different groups, but in the big group, we were talking about interference. We're talking about interference and trying to come up with a definition of interference. You know, what is it with the stick, with the body, holding everything that goes with it. I was, I was sitting there and I took out the rule book and I turned the pages and look at interference and I'm reading it. And I'm going, oh, we're spending a lot of time on a definition that seems to be right there. Marshall Johnson, <laughs> who is the GM of the Ottawa Senators, was sitting next to me. And I, I said, Marsh, doesn't this like kind of sum it up? And he started, he, he kind of giggled and he goes, yep. And Lou Lamarillo was sitting on the other side of Marshall. Marshall used to work for the New Jersey Devils and Lou Lamarillo. So Lou, who has a commanding presence, you know, looks at it, sees it, and he stands up and he's kind of leaning back against the wall. Well, when Lou makes any motion, you know, it draws the attention of everybody in the room. So anyway, he ends up, uh, you know, speaking. He goes, can I ask everybody to turn to page? I, I don't know. I don't remember what the page was. And uh, can we put it up and put it up on the thing? Isn't it all right there? We had spent 45 minutes trying to come up with a definition. It was never about the definition. It was about how do you want to interpret it? You know, I've said this many a times. And, you know, the referees, the, the officials get so much criticism. They go, oh, the officials, the referees, the linesmen. They are the best in the world. They get 99% of the calls right in real time. We get the benefit of multiple replays. Do you think that in 05, when the season started, that the referees all had a, a meeting of the minds and said, you know what, we're going to call holding and hooking and interference, right? You know, the slashing on the hands. Did the referees just all of a sudden say, oh, we, could, we need to call this now? Cross-checking, right? No. The referees call what they're told to call. They're, 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 they're asked to enforce a standard. Keep that in mind, a standard. When we lower the standard, we're going to have all kinds of problems. That's what happened leading up to 0405. That's what happened with the slash team on the hands. That's what's happened with cross-checking. The standard was lower. The officials don't lower the standard. The people telling them how to call the game lower the standard. The GMs, that's where your ire should be put. And, and I 100% agree. It's better if I disagree, but on the rules and enforcement, if you don't like the offside challenge, don't phone the league, write a letter to your resident general manager. And I've been told, Stevie Y, we, lo we love him. God love him, Hall of Famer, Stanley Cup, Olympics, everything else. Successful manager as well. He is in the group, I am told, three marbles here, three marbles there. If it's Canada, Latvia, or it's Montreal, Vegas, or whatever, it'll work itself out. There's people who really believe, you know what, even it up, because if you went 7-1, oh my God, seven penalties against the Islanders. They don't want the Islanders to win. They want the Vegas against Tampa. You, we've heard all those things before. You've been in those meetings. If a fan's saying that, or if Steve is talking three marbles each, how do you respond? Well, what I would say is, you know, Steve comes from an era where that's the way the game was called. That's how the, that, that was the mandate. So his experience as a player, an exceptionally successful player, is such that he said, hey, you know what? This is how it was done. This is how it was played. This is what I did. I had success. It will all even out. So I'll just give you a, a different example. So if I was to sit here with you and Mr. Eiserman and I say, 
okay, here's what we're going to do. In the school zone, you know, as a police officer, you know, we want where the kids are coming into school, you know, and the speed limit is reduced, right? We're only going to give, uh, uh, you know, four speeding tickets to the red cars and four speeding tickets to the white cars. Everybody else, you know, at the end of it, it'll all, is that how, is that what you want? Not me. No, not me either. Steve. No, no, no. So, seven so one is okay. Seven one, suck it up, Buttercup. It it's a either a, a crime or not, an infraction or not. And if we're going to start judging to even things out, and we're playing this game, we will never make this better. I totally agree, and that's what I mean. So, if if you have the fifth car that's red coming through the school zone and it's speeding, you know, far excessively, we go. Oh, I've already called for. For, I've already handed out four tickets to the red car. I can't handle That's dangerous. So I'm using an extreme example. You know what? If one team has committed seven fouls, they should deserve seven penalties. It is, it is utterly incomprehensible and, in my view, illogical how anybody can say at the end of the night it should be even-even. Because if it hasn't been even, why should it be even-even? Do you believe in eyes in the sky. I was at a game 20 years ago, Toronto, New Jersey, Ty Domi annihilates Scott Niedermeyer happened in front of me, had free tickets from the Levy's. Thank you very much. They've done pretty well uh, before and after uh, selling their company. So I'm sitting with my wife. I witnessed the whole thing and I see Scott out, out. I saw the elbow to the head, all of it. Puck goes up the ice. Ty Domi almost scores. The horn goes off. And I said to my wife, they're going to throw Ty Domi out of the game. And she said, can they do that? I said, they're, they're going to. It was a phone because we didn't really have video review. So the phone went through the speaker, not the headset. Dvorsky was the referee. He, I'm sure it's Coley. And he said, throw Ty out of the game. Five in a game. We're going to suspend him. He turns to the Leaf bench. Ty's already walking out. That's eyes in the sky <laughs> 20 years ago. What if we're in overtime of game seven? I was watching... Five preseason games last night in the Chicago Detroit game. There was a phantom cross check called. It wasn't a cross check. There was no cross check on the play. Imagine if that was in overtime. We all went, Oh my God. If Craig, you had me in your ear and I said, Craig, it didn't happen. We've seen it. Take uh, Jonathan Taves, who returned, thank God. Take him. Don't we want the option to get it right? If we, if we, and I'm not saying review everything and bog the game down. Eye in the sky, maybe only in the finals, to save a moment that we say, uh-oh. Don't say you don't like eyes in the sky because Colin Campbell invented it 20 years ago. Do you remember the uh, NFL conference, uh, playoff game where there was the big pass interference call? And that New it Orleans, was right? It was completely missed, right? And then that offseason, they said, listen, we got to adjust this we, because it was so wrong, right? So they introduced it, Right. You know, what I like to do with when I think about how fast the game is played, the demands on the officials, right? You know, why don't we make sure that we give them every tool possible to be right as often as possible? That doesn't, but, but we, we tend to, to, to take a, a, a position that says, well, we don't want to slow down the game. We don't want it all to be reviewed. We're not saying that. There's ways to use technology to your point, Steve. Eye in the sky, which I think is a brilliant idea. The game is fast. You know, to have another set of eyes, technology, how it works, you know, you can have it right in the referee's ear, right? You know what? Hey, you missed that slash back there. Boom, two minutes slashing, right? You know what? That isn't cross-checking. 
you know, that, that isn't a cross-checking penalty. Good. No, no penalty. You know, how many times do you see in an NFL game? And I, I mean, it's not often, but I see it, uh, flag on the field, they confer. Well, after uh, conferring, there was no penalty on the play. Right? Why can't we just say there was no penalty on the play? We've introduced it with the high sticking, right? Like, you know, the Jerome player caught it. Like, you know, so why can't we do this? Why can't we find, you know, rationale for saying, you know what, the eye in the sky is good. It's not defaulting to, well, we don't want to slow down the game. We know we don't want to slow down the game. Don't tell me something we already know. This is about trying to ensure that the game that is being played puts the puts the players and the great skills that they have on display. That's what I want to see. And if there's a call that needs to be corrected or not called, let's proceed that way. Cross-checking as we go into this season, uh, before we move on to topic three, how do you see it unfolding? Will the crackdown last into Christmas? Will the players adjust? Will broadcasters who don't agree with it, like you and I, mock it and oh my god in my day we were allowed to cross check the guy dave andrichuk we crossed him 43 times i saw garth butcher cross check dave andrichuk 16 times once and it affected andrichuk scoring a goal 16 times bang bang he you know what it takes to knock dave andrichuk down down up down up will it work will we see success will we see an increase at the beginning in offense 600 goals plus for Dave Andertruck. You just talk big, big player, big, big man. The, in, in my view, the best goal scorer all time, Mike Bossy. Like he had to retire because of the abuse his back took. Do you imagine that you're looking at a player and, and keep in mind that when he couldn't take the abuse anymore, he was coming off a subpar 39 goal season after not scoring less than 50 since the time he entered the league. He, he just couldn't take it anymore. He, he, his understanding was, I can't be successful anymore because I only got 39. That's sad. That's tragic in my view when we lose players because of non-rule enforcement. We talk about the slashing on the hands, right? So who has the puck more often than anybody? The best players. So it's in the it's in the manager's best interest to make sure that their best players are not hurt and out of the lineup. Because when we talk about the GMs and you know every day is about their team and living and dying with their team winning or losing, well, it, it's on the backs of your best players. So again, we're now on to cross checking. If if you're going to make a commitment to it, 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 it it's got to be a full commitment. Am I hopeful? Yes. Am I optimistic? Yes. My my wife says that uh, I really should have the name Pollyanna because I'm always looking at the glass half full. So I'm okay with that. I think, I think they're serious. I think they're very serious. Does that mean that there's going to be uh, more opportunity for the skilled players, more offense? I would hope so. I would think so. There's no reason for me not to believe that. And I think that with this enforcement and with the commitment to enforcement, that it will be there. And I think it'll be there right through the end, just like the slashing on the hands. I love it as well. And I like the way the league, especially in recent years, has adapted well to what's going on. All the rules are together. Why the trapezoid's there. Puck over glass. These guys could throw the puck over the glass anytime they wanted in trouble. So the way they've all meshed together, it, and when there's a problem, we look at this, cross-checking, yep, let's change it. So kudos to making the change. And I think this is where the NFL makes rule changes sometimes middle of the season if something has gone crazy. I use Coley's example again, the Sean Avery shield. He changed, he didn't like that. And he changed, 
there's, you don't have to wait till the end of the year. So to be progressive as we go, I think it's great. We'll agree to disagree and we'll see how it plays out. Speaking of bossy though, 10 years, even math I can do. 573 goals, averages 57.3 goals a year. Uh, anyway, we love you, we love you, we love you, Mike Bossy. Uh, and uh, the overtime goal he scored, of course, which is a topic hopefully we'll get to as it relates to international play. Bossy, Islanders, four Stanley Cups. The Islanders' success right now is on its way to Butch Goring coming and overcoming obstacles. Lou shows up. The franchise is in disarray. What have they won? Five straight, five playoff series now. They're climbing the mountain. I have the Islanders as the number one team in the Metro. They might be the number one team in the East. I don't know where you have them. I love it. Lee's back. Barzell's developing. They, 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 yeah, Letty's gone. The retirement on the back end. Taves, that's what the cap does. But they adjusted. The identity, identity line's still there. They got two goalies. I like this team a lot, Craig. This is, how does Tavares leave? Lou comes in. The switch is, explain this, Lucy. Explain Lou, Lucy. Okay. Well, when we look at the New York Islanders and you think about Lou Lamarillo and Barry Trotz, what a duo, right? Does it not remind you a little bit of another duo that had a lot of success with the, hmm. with the New York Islanders? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the, the glory days of Bill Torrey and Al Arbor. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I little sidebar here about Al Arbor. So Al Arbor was in Rochester when my, when my dad was working for the Rochester Americans back in the day. So I didn't know this till years later, but he always used to, he, whenever he would see me, he would call me a snotty nosed little brat because he said, you were just one of these snotty nosed little brats. who used to come out on the ice or play around and we see it and everything. Whenever I saw Al over the years, Hey, you're snotty nosed little brat. So, you know, Al Arbor, who was a great coach was, was, if he was a great coach, he was even a better person. Unbelievable. But anyway, Barry Trotz, we're talking about unbelievable coach, unbelievable person, right? And, you know, you think about Lou, Lou sets a standard. And the thing about Lou, when the bar is up at this height, he, he, he's not looking to lower it to, to help people. He's saying, this is the height. And guess what? We're going to increase it. That's where the Islanders find themselves. You know, yeah, you got to move on Nick Letty. You know, you lose Jordan Eberle in the expansion draft, but at the end of the day, they drafted Noah Hobbs, Noah, Noah Dobson. He's going to be a terrific player. You know, they end up getting Zach Parisi back there, a healthy Anders Lee. This is a team that understands who they are, what they are, and how they're going to play to have success. one nothing in the Stanley Cup semifinal game seven, they lose. one nothing to the Stanley Cup champions. This is a team, much like the Islanders, you know, they went through some periods of time in the late 70s where they were knocking on that door. They fell a little bit short. Maybe the expectations weren't as high for this New York Islanders team as it was for that team with Potman, Trache, Bossy, Gillies, and Billy Smith, and Chico Rush. We can't forget about Chico. But at the end of the day, this is a team that is built to compete for the Stanley Cup. And if you tell me that they're one of the top teams, Steve, that, that, that can win the Cup... I can make no argument against it. None. Heartbreaks in 78, 79. And I'm sure they want the Ranger one back. They thought they could beat Montreal. We all know what happened. 80, 81, 82, 83. Are you as optimistic with the team that hasn't won on the other side? That's five years in already. Craig, there's, where, where's the time going? The Robin Leonard era, Vegas, centerman, tucks injury. Are you as 
excited about look they probably already won the division maybe the Oilers are the only team that's going to give them any competition are you as excited about Vegas hockey this year as you are about the Islanders that we just discussed no I'm not and I you know last year when I watched them play the Minnesota Wild I thought the Minnesota Wild could give them a really really strong strong uh opposition and they did you know ultimately you know the Vegas Golden Knights had a little bit too much, but the Minnesota Wild showed a path to how to beat the, uh, the the Vegas Golden Knights. I will say this. I think the Colorado Avalanche, if they would have had Eric Johnson, if they would have had Nazem Kadri, Matt Calvert, that they could have uh, tipped the scales a little bit more in their favor. To me, you, you look at the Vegas Golden Knights, and, and they've been a model franchise since they've come in. Forget about for expansion teams. Just look at anybody else in the league, Steve. <laughs> like everybody, so many teams, if you're not named Washington, if you're not named uh, the uh, uh, the St. Louis Blues or the Tampa Bay Lightning, the, the Vegas Golden Knights have been more successful than everybody. I'm not, I'm not buying Vegas Golden Knights stock as a Stanley Cup contender. Two reasons. And, you know, I'm not even so concerned about Robin Leonard. He's shown that he's more than capable. We all know what they did with Marc-Andre Fleury, the face of the franchise. He's out. Okay, you've moved on. There's center ice. I don't think they're strong enough up the middle of the ice. The other thing, Peter DeBoer, who's a darn good coach, to me it's two years now that they haven't figured out what they're not doing to have success. They got beat by the Dallas Stars. The Vancouver Canucks pushed them to seven. Minnesota Wild pushed them to seven. They got beat by the Montreal Canadiens. Until they they keep talking about, oh, yeah, we're learning. I don't see that learning curve. So there's two parts, the way they play and the lack of center ice. I'm not buying. I'm not putting my chips on the Vegas Golden Knights in Vegas or in any other betting house around the world. I, I put my chips in to make playoffs, win the division, win a round or two. But for the reasons you mentioned, I like Chandler Stevenson. That's not where he belongs. William Carlson's good. He's a second line center, but Stevenson should be the three. They brought in Patrick, lost glass. And how does Pacioretty, Stone, Petrangelo, Marcheseau, put Riley? How is this team unable to score power play goals when power play goals? How is the team one of the best offensive teams in the league? And they can't, is that kind of what you're talking about? The X's and O's? Toronto had power play trouble. They fired the power play coach. If is this a make or break year in terms of like it's now they brought Petrangelo in Pacioretty and Stone to win now. I don't want to lose because this these guys can't score in the power play. I get my beer league team can't score in the power play because we still play two defense. We're playing the 1963, you know, power plays. But these guys, that's crushing to me. It's crushing watching this team's inability in the clutch. Hey, well, I mean, you got to find solutions and you know, that comes down to X's and O's and that comes down to coaching. Peter DeBoer says, you know, we had to learn lessons from uh, the 2020 playoffs and you know, they didn't, they didn't learn them. And you know what you, if you're going to be predictable on the power play, go ahead. The other team just dials into it. If you're not going to attack into the middle of the ice, if you're not going to hunt pucks in and around the net, you're not going to score. And when the competition, when the goaltending goes from Cam Talbot to Philip Grubauer to Carey Price, you're not beating those Carey Price from 35 feet like you can beat those other guys. And if you're not going to get hungry in and around the net, you're not going to attack into the middle of the ice and inside the dots. 
you're not going to have success. The La Vegas Gold Knights show me they can learn that and adapt it and apply it. No chips for this boy on the Vegas Golden Knights. Final thoughts to wrap. I do believe, other than the teams we mentioned that'll be at the bottom, I think the playoffs start October 12th. I really do. I think this marathon is also a mini sprint. You go 0-2 and 1 in late April, wild card one, out of playoffs. Teams are in, they're engaged, three-point games, parody. It's going to be if the Devils are a non-playoff team, I don't think they are, then guess what? They're going to take points away from the Rangers and the Islanders and some of these other teams. I am excited in this 32-team league that things are going to be tight, and I want the regular season of what used to be 1,271 games add, add another team. Craig, I think it's going to be that tight and that close. That's what I want. I want the Tuesday night, Nashville taking on Dallas. I want to be engaged in that game, and I believe we have that right now. I got nothing to add. I'll tell you what, we're going to be talking about this every Monday, every Thursday. What's happening today, what happened yesterday, and what we think might happen tomorrow. We're talking about the Stanley Cup playoffs beginning. Here with the Cool Button Uncensored Hockey Podcast. Thanks for joining us.